I'm hearing the sound of like someone doing like a power, like using a staple gun. Uh, yes, someone? that would be my dad using a staple gun. One moment. <laughs> oh my god. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love this show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening. You're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Hello, and welcome to Loser Like Me, a Glee rewatch and recap and repressing your emotions podcasts. All about. <laughs> this week we're talking about Once Upon a Mattress, except we're not because they were almost immediately hit with a cease and desist letter, or they were concerned that they might be. So they just changed it to Mattress, episode 12, season 1 Mattress. So wait, are you saying that they. That they, like, they were hit with a cease and desist letter by the people who made the musical Once Upon a Mattress? Actually, uh, uh, judging by what it says on the wiki, uh, they were originally going to call the episode Once Upon a Mattress, and then someone said, hey, that's a musical, and so they just changed it to avoid getting hit by one of those. Okay. That's weird, because I, f I, I swear that it's like when I first, when this episode first aired and I watched it live... I swear that it was called Once Upon a Mattress. Hmm, maybe. I mean, heck, it, it might even be that way on the DVD that I have of the first 13 episodes that is downstairs. Maybe they had to change it in DVD post. <laughs> maybe they did. Would not surprise me. Or maybe I misread. Whatever the case, it's, it's Mattress. Oh yeah, this episode was originally called Once Upon a Mattress, but for some reason was shortened to just Mattress. Perhaps okay. due to copyright conflict, that could be generated due to a play with the same name. The play is much better. In many countries, they still use the original title, but translated. For example, huh. Arase una vez un colchón in Mexico and Spain, and Era una vez un colcheo in Brazil. Hmm. And just used normally in the United Kingdom. Huh. Interesting. So those are the those are the countries that uh, that don't respect Carol Burnett, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or those are the countries that Carol Burnett does respect. Oh, and that's okay. why they're allowed to use it. Cool. Or Carol Burnett just specifically doesn't respect Glee. Which is extremely valid. Although she does appear on an episode later. She appears I twice, actually. Yeah, she's too good for Glee. <laughs> she changed Carol her Burnett. opinions in post. <laughs> yeah, valid. I mean, honestly, like, 95% of the cast changed their opinions in posts, yeah. so... Oh, yeah, I, I forgot to mention. So, this episode is probably gonna come out... Herm. What, what does my spreadsheet say? This episode is probably gonna come out in September, but when we're recording it, this is the first episode we've recorded since uh, we found out Leah Michelle. Okay, it's kind of been an open secret that Leah Michelle isn't a great person, but so, this is the first one we've so recorded since it's official. <laughs> Yeah, this is the first episode that we've recorded um, since, uh, obviously, you know, co I'm just going to say when we're actually recording this, we're recording this on June 28th. So the last time that we recorded, I don't think that the um, 
the current civil rights movement had started to pop off. Yeah, like the, 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 the current civil rights movement had not um, had not begun to gain traction. Um, yeah, it was and also I mean, Leah Michelle's dirty laundry was aired on Twitter. Yeah, which the skeletons are out of her closet. Yeah, which is it's terrible that that happened to a multitude of people who thought they were her friend friends yes. and like looked up to her until they got on the show. But mm-hmm. also, I fucking love the tea, and Leah Michelle can roast. Yeah, I uh, I am disappointed that we have to uh, move Leah Michelle into the disappointed in you column. But you know what? She did this to herself, and I don't know if I've I haven't seen an apology come across my social media feeds from her for her actions. So. There was an apology, but it was very much one of those. I'm sorry that you feel this way. Um, and also, I have to be more mindful of what I say because I'm going to be a mother. Yeah, well, Melissa, Melissa Bonois is also going to be a mother, and she's not doing that because she's a better person than Leah Michelle is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, she she did... There, we we try not to air all the dirty laundry because we had that, like, disclaimer in episode zero where we were like, we're trying to separate the characters' actions from the actors' actions. Um, yeah. But I, I, I do have to point out that Melissa Benoist did get into a lot of hot water when she and the Supergirl cast sang a song about why shipping uh, Kara and Lena Luthor was silly. And then when oh. she got blowback, when she got blowback from that, her agent said Melissa can't be homophobic. She was on Glee. Well, neither of those, neither of those are especially good things. Yeah, and I. I don't know what's happening in that corner because I'm not very deep in the Supergirl fandom. I think most people are not necessarily forgiven her, but I think they just kind of let it slide on account of her actions since then have kind of demonstrated a better awareness of the situation. But I don't think she ever officially apologized, and I don't know I don't actually know if the fandom has like accepted anything, if there has been anything. I, I truthfully don't know either. I have seen maybe one episode of Supergirl, and most of what I know about Supergirl is because it's around the corner from where I am on Tumblr, whenever I am on yeah. Tumblr, which is infrequent. <laughs> but the point being, there's, a, there's also there's a difference between Mel- Melissa saying some stuff that was untoward and Rachel saying she was going to shit in a black girl's wig. Yeah. Leah, so, Leah saying that she was going to shit in a black girl's wig. The per- the, yeah. the real person said that, not the fictional actor, not the fictional character. Although yeah, well, Rachel does say some shit in this episode. That's that, that's that's the other thing is that I am going to try my best to separate Rachel the character from Leah the actress. Where Rachel the character, at least in the first few seasons, was explicitly meant to be a parody of this kind of behavior, and then as time went on, they did just kind of cast polymerization and become one and the same. Yeah, uh, but before we bef- before we get into the episode, um, I we've we've both made statements about this personally, but this is the first like episode since since everything's happened. So remember, wash your hands, um, wash your hands, keep wear a mask, regardless of whether or not your local government is trying to actually enforce it, whether or not your employer is trying to enforce it. Wear a mask; it's safest for yourself and everyone. And also, Black Lives Matter. Black trans lives matter. Queer lives matter. <laughs> and, yeah, they yeah. they matter even in September when this episode comes out, and yes, your they... feed has probably gone back to mostly memes again. So, anyways, that's that's it for belated news. Yeah. That, so that's it for the uh, and that's what you missed on the behind the scenes of Loser Like Me. 
All right, let's 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 get into this. Uh, yeah, let's 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 fucking saw into this hunk of beef of an episode. <laughs> yeah. So, like we mentioned, this is episode twelve of season one, Mattress. Uh, it aired December second, two thousand nine. We're almost at the mid season finale, uh, and it was written or it was directed by Elodie Keene. Thank you. And it was directed. Nope. Let me just start over. And it was directed by Elodie Keene. And it was written by Ryan Murphy, and holy shit, does it show? Yeah, it, um, uh, fun fact, Elodie Keene has, uh, her previous directing credits on Glee are Vitamin D and also Mashup. Um, Vitamin D was also by Ryan Murphy, and Mashup was by Ian Brennan. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, where we're coming at from, like, the creative standpoint of this episode. Yep. Also, because this is hurtling headfirst into the fin- like the mid-season finale arcs, the previously on points out almost every single plot point. Yeah, and also because like this is the point at which they were like, they didn't know if they were getting renewed beyond 13 episodes. Well, in filming, they didn't know if they were being renewed beyond 13 episodes. I think in real life, this was almost around the time where they were renewed for another two seasons. Yeah, that feels about right. And the show was definitely getting traction, so they're like, hey, if everyone's yeah. going to start watching on the penultimate episode this year, we better let them know every single thing that's happened so far. Yeah, yeah. So the recap is, Emma and Ken are getting married, even though Emma likes Will. Terry is faking her, pre- her pregnancy, but Will doesn't know that the pregnancy is fake. Um, Will is trying to get the Glee Club ready for sectionals, and they're going to be competing against Jane Addams' school and the Haverbrook Academy, and Sue kicked Quinn out of the Cheerios, and that's what you missed on Glee. Yeah, basically they bring up everything except for Kurt having a crush on Finn, because like that's the only subplot that hasn't kept going so far. Yeah, so far. It'll come back, don't worry. It will. Or maybe do worry, depending on your interpretation. Um, uh, uh, worry would be a reasonable reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when we get to get into the parts of the episode that I found myself um, now strangely qualified to talk about. <laughs> oh, oh, right. I was about to ask if you were on the yearbook committee, but no, you're in the yearbook industry. I'm not going to actually like say which employer I work for just because I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know. The Acme I'm, I'm Yearbook Company. Talking... Yeah. Yeah. I work, I work for Acme Yearbook Company. So I have um, much more experience in yearbooks now than I ever had in school. I was only on yearbook in eighth grade, in, which was middle school. Oh, hey, I was the same. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, so the this episode, I guess you could say like the frame for the episode is that uh, school picture day is coming up and it's the McKinley High School Thunderclap is celebrating its 50th year. And this is definitely not the dumbest yearbook like name that I've ever come across. Okay, so so is that a thing in America that yearbooks have like individual names? Yes. My my high school's my high school mascot was the tiger and so ours was I think like the paw or the tiger paw or something. But there are other yearbooks where it's like, "Oh hey, ours is the chronicle." Ours is I I I saw one a couple weeks ago that was literally just like, "Ours is the Lincoln log." <laughs> and I'm but it was weird because that school's that school wasn't in, you know, like Springfield, Illinois, home of home of Abraham Lincoln, or from Lincoln, Nebraska, the city named Lincoln. It was like, nope, it's just the Lincoln log. <laughs> and of course, you know, then because it's America, yearbook names also can run the gamut of every single offensive um, and racially insensitive word that you can think of. Thankfully, I haven't seen anyone using the N word. Oh <laughs> my god! But but there's been a lot of words used for yearbooks and mascots that are. 
ex- that are definitely not um not correct towards First Nations people. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh. You know, I'm sure there's a yearbook teacher out there who whose idea of a fun fact is going up to kids who are eating like black licorice and saying, "Oh, do you know what we used to call those when I was a kid?" And then I pushed that teacher off the stairs. Listen, none of my yearbooks had individual yeah. tales. They were just like the Montgomery High yearbook or the Bowness High yearbook. Yeah, that that's very much so an American thing. Uh, my my last high school yearbook, our mascots were the Wolverines. Nice. So I, I do wonder what that would be called. Like, would it be, <laughs> would the yearbook be called the Claws? Would it be called the Red Dawn? <laughs> huh. The Wolverine Bub. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode's about yearbooks <laughs> yeah the episode the episode is is yearbooks and picture day yes and i'm over here i'm like okay so if they're if they're possible if they're we're approaching like let's say reasonably if they're in october or maybe even november like in the school year i guess they could be having their picture their their yearbook photo day this late whatever it's fine, but it's like, hey, we we needed a thing. We needed a setup for this episode. What's something that your the high schools have? Yearbooks, <laughs> picture day. <laughs> it's the fifth edition of the McKinley High School Thunderclap Yearbook, and Will is informed of this by Emma, and that's why everyone's getting all fancy looking. Um, yes. And also, I can't remember why, but they also mentioned that the wedding between Ken and Emma is it's not happening in Hawaii because Emma oh, can't bring uh, her own fruit. They they talk about they, the wedding comes up because Ken says I'm going to go lose twenty pounds before photo day, so that that way I will be that way then I will look good for my photo in this in the yearbook, and also I will be sexy for our wedding, which is in not this Saturday but the next Saturday. Yes, and oh darn, it's scheduled on the same day as sectionals. What an unfortunate coincidence mm. sorry will i yeah. guess your i guess emma won't be able to attend it with you to emma's credit she is like genuinely like i just completely forgot when sectionals were and i'm like you know what emma that's fine because you should be prioritizing your own wedding over sectionals yeah which is a club that you do not technically advise even though you are invested in how it turns out yeah you know she only ever gives guidance to the students in the glee club yeah, that's just because we haven't gotten to the point where Ryan Murphy cares about students other than the Glee Club yet. Well, it's also, I wouldn't put it out, uh, I wouldn't put it past the show that the Glee Club is the only place where students are confident to acknowledge they have problems. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, also, uh, they can't change the schedule of the wedding because... <sighs> so the wedding venue has a great deal on booking it because it's the anniversary of a shooting. Of a gri- a grizzly fish fry shootout <laughs> which and they have to be out there before the candlelight vigil and listen i know this happened several years before like social media made us a lot more aware of how bad the shooting problem is in the states mm-hmm. but this is a grim joke then and it's terrifying now <laughs> yeah yeah but that's the murph <laughs> Uh, but fortunately, Sue then enters, yeah. and she her eyes look terrible, and Emma says, yes. Oh, Sue, did somebody finally punch you? And I was like, yes, Emma. And then Sue says, no, actually, I got, uh, I got plastic surgery, and also I had them remove my tear ducts. 
So I'm like, hey, have fun having things get caught in your eyes, Sue. Now you're going to have to deal with every single eyelash that ever that ever decides to detach itself from your eyelid and land in your eye. Uh, no, good riddance. The the bur- the birding uh, will just motivate her. I guess so. Um, I made note that in this scene, um, Sue called Emma both Edie and Eleanor. Yeah. Uh, the Edie part, I ho- I was thinking it was going to set up like a Grey Gardens joke, but that never went off, I guess. I guess. Um, and she also tells them that yearbooks are the only reward that nobody teachers like them get to have. But except for the Glee Club, because she had Figgins re- uh, disqualify, year- uh, disqualify Glee Club from having a photo in the yearbook because it always gets yeah. vandalized. Yep. And which some of which is on the orders of Sue Sylvester herself, I believe. D- yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, yeah. But, uh, in a separate scene, following the uh, well, Will is angry, but like obviously, yeah. He he holds his fists up and he's like, "Ah, Sue." He says, "Sue, stop with the pointless vendetta. I'm gonna go talk to Figgins." I'm telling Dad. Oh God, yeah, I guess. Um, but in the next scene, Kurt is basically agreeing with Sue. Uh, he says that their relative anonymity has protected them for most of the bullying from the past semester. Uh, they only have to deal with slushy facials. They haven't experienced any swirlies or patriotic wedgies. Yes, which I would like to nominate as a potential episode title. Um, a patriotic wedgie is when you get hoisted up the flagpole by your underwear. God bless America. And Artie has experienced this, but it did make him feel more American. God bless America. I mean, what's more American than humiliation? Gun violence? Racism? Corporate greed? I could go deeper. So, Kurt researched Kurt. the Glee Club in the yeah. library, and the library yeah. just... So, so their f- official yearbooks of the school that they have on record are copies is- that have been vandalized. This is not... A, this is not a, Well, having copies of a yearbook on hand is not unusual, I am aware of high schools, usually it's high schools, ordering, like, a library copy of the yearbook for them to just keep in their library for reference, I guess. Kurt tries to draw a causal effect by saying that these these high school students were in glee clubs when they were in high school, and now they all have had, by now the ones who I'm referencing have all experienced severely deteriorating mental states- and he's saying that it's because of Glee. I'm saying that it's probably more because of just the terrible state of mental health in America and especially in the Midwest. Well, not especially in the Midwest. It's a problem everywhere. But it sounds like it's especially prevalent in Lima, Ohio. So I don't think it's quite as direct of a comparison as he's trying to draw, but I think it is a problem. See, the the thread I'm trying to figure out is... So... I can understand that students are going to vandalize their own copies of the yearbook because that's how you remember your high school. Basically, it's just a more dramatic way of signing your yearbook. And I understand. I the guess. Co- I understand the concept of students going to the McKinley, like specifically the McKinley Library, and vandalizing the yearbooks in there. Like it is kind of weird that they kept those because on record. They're all shits. <laughs> it's weird they kept those on record, and like the framing does make it seem like the library specifically kept vandalized yearbooks in order to demonstrate why Glee Club sucks. <sighs> but my yearbooks are not vandalized and, and or okay, the, the, those Kurt's yearbook is not going to have a vandalized Glee Club page because he is not the one vandalizing it and it's not like he's going to go up to 
Azimio and be like, hey, Azimio, would you like to sign my yearbook? And Azimio goes, sure, and then draws a Hitler stash on Kurt. And then Kurt's like, I can't believe you've done this. I can't believe you've done this. Also, most of the vandalism is just drawing Hitler mustaches on people, which is unfortunate, but like also makes sense because they're teens and it is easy to draw. And buck teeth and like the like the like the devil's pitchfork and stuff and various weird abstract shapes that I couldn't decode. Yo, know, I'd be fine if people drew like devil horns and a pitchfork on my yearbook photo. It's aspirational. I mean, I guess. <laughs> But all this to say that the kids are like, you know what, like, we're perfectly okay with not having a photo in the yearbook. And Rachel's not here because we know that she would disagree with us. And then Will Schuster comes in and says, I am going to put you in the yearbook if it kills me. Yeah. So ad space is part of the reason why Figgins is like, we can't have Glee in the yearbook. And also because, look, the kids don't want to be in the yearbook, Will. And he's like, but I want this for them. And then Rachel storms in and says, I am the only Glee Club student who wants y- who wants to be in the yearbook. And Will says, I've convinced Figgins. <laughs> I beat you to and the I- punch, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, I have a note here that says, Will should have done a, like a Vulcan neck pinch on Rachel. Because he like, he like, he like slaps his hand on her shoulder, but it's like right at that point at like where the shoulder meets the neck, like right there. <laughs> And I'm like, just do the neck pinch. <laughs> just do the neck pinch and make the next three episodes much easier on yourself, Will. But yeah. he doesn't. So. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Rachel is satisfied that they, she will be in the yearbook. And so she yeah. she leaves uh, to the tune of her monologue, where we get the Rachel in all the clubs montage, where it shows yes. her being in, like, the Renaissance Club. I have I have a list. Oh, good. <laughs> Yeah, like the, Rachel's whole thing is like, I want to be in lots of clubs, mostly so that I can have these listed on like portfolio, my resume, whatever you want to call it as I apply to colleges and future careers. But also because I want practice for when the paparazzi will take photos of me in the future. And I'm like, Shh. um, but also Rachel was in the speech club, like speech and debate, um, aka, oh God, what's the other name for speech and debate? Uh, talk and fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Talk and um, fight club. Yeah, I guess. Um, but but she's in speech club. She's in the mock United Nations club. She's in the Renaissance Fair club. She's in the Muslim Students Club. She's in the Black Student Union. Also, <laughs> and in all, in these all of these photos, Leah Michelle is badly photoshopped into the photos, and all the other students are looking at her in disdain. Yep. Also, side note here. Um, she says this as she, like, parades into the library and then looks through a yearbook in satisfaction and then leaves. And also their library has IMAX? 2009. Uh, yeah, no, that actually, that, that checks out. I, it's, I'm more so shocked that it's like, that's, was there ever a point in time in which an IMAX was, was inexpensive enough that a high school would, ha- would have those? I had IMAX in my middle school. Huh. And it was not, like, a super fancy middle school. Huh. Well, then I retract my statement. It was it was a pain, because whatever the I, the Mac word processor was back then didn't have autocorrect, so I got docked a whole bunch of marks on my initial assignments because I wouldn't capitalize the letters at my beginning of sentences. I had gotten used to Word doing it for me. <laughs> um, we, get to, we get to pan over from Rachel in the library to Quinn and Brittany and Santana in the library. And Brittany and Santana are defacing Rachel's photos. Uh, good for them, I approve of this. Uh, just because it's Rachel. Quinn is watching them do this, and she uh, has a monologue about how she misses the Cheerios because the uniform and the, just, like, the fame helped her feel safe. And so she decides that she is going to get back in there by the time that the photo is taken. 
Um, and she wants her kids to be able to look at her old high school yearbooks and see the person that she was. But not and be th- proud of that. Except for Flat Baby, because Flat Baby is a bastard and she doesn't care about them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, we love you, Flat Baby. I mean, she says, not the bastard baby I'm carrying now, but the ones I have later when I'm married and ready. So it's like, aside from calling Flat Baby a bastard, it's, yeah. it's, it's an under- understandable sentiment. Yeah, I guess. Uh, next scene is just, will <laughs> I can summarize this in like three seconds. Sum it up in three sentences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Will Will asks Terry to help him pick ties for the yearbook photos. Terry doesn't care. Um, Will wants to. T- Will uh, Will tells Terry that he wants to pay for an ad to get the Glee Club in the yearbook. She says no because that's the baby money. I have a note here which is just like, is Terry just like embezzling the money used on the pregnancy? <laughs> um, and. <sighs> Um, so Will decides, fuck it, writes a check anyway, and then asks Figgins to cash it later, presumably after Will's paycheck comes through, and Figgins is like, yes, it's okay, I'll do that, I'm just glad that you're giving me money. This show- That was more than three sentences, but it's short. This show would have been real interesting. In the first season, it easily could have turned into Breaking Bad. Yes. So, so, selling when they sell the, the pot cupcakes from a few episodes ago. Oh, God, it's Sandy and Puck doing Breaking Bad. Oh, no, that's worse. Yeah. So the next, episode, the next episode, the next scene. Yeah. This is almost two episodes worth of plot, but the next scene starts, Kurt is practicing scale at the piano in the choir room, and Rachel yes. walks up and she's like, I have... Oh, did you have a note about Kurt's shirt? <laughs> the Kurt's shirt is, I'm pretty sure... Uh, it's it is, a... it is... It... It is a shirt. It is like a short-sleeved but white button-up shirt, and it has an untied bow tie screen printed on it around the neck. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, Kurt, honey! Rachel walks up and she's like, "I have the perfect idea for a club that will cement me as the most known person in high school. We will start a gay lesball, a gay lesbian alliance." And yes. Kurt says nothing. He just leaves. <laughs> yes, he leaves the conversation with an "Oh my God!" straight people face. Yep. <laughs> And I'm like, hmm. Uh, I just, uh, as uh, as of recording, I just did a whole episode on Not If I Beat You First uh, about a movie that it starts when a bunch of straight girls attempt to form a gay-straight alliance without any gay people. Oh, no. It's good. It's great. Well, go watch GBF. Duly noted. Duly noted. We then get to, like, cut over from... from- from Kurt noping out of a conversation with Rachel to um, Artie, Matt, Finn, Puck, Mike, Mercedes, and Quinn all hanging out around the instrument corridor and they're having fun, you know, like playing on like Artie's guitar and Puck's guitar and uh, Finn's drums and stuff. And then Will comes in and he says, we are getting a yearbook photo. And they're like, yay. Yay. Uh, He says that they can only have two people in it. So they're going to elect two captains to represent the whole club. Yeah. Rachel. Yeah. Rachel's the next like, day, they're like, we want to vote. So Rachel stands up and is like two words into her pitch about why she should be elected. And Mercedes and Kurt immediately nominate her. Yes. And then like five minutes later, everyone has voted for Rachel, including Rachel. Yes. Because just like in a Ray Bradbury um, sci-fi short story, they have decided which person will be the sacrificial lamb to give to the wolves of society. And Rachel does not even comprehend this. It's great. No. 
No, Rachel just sees the, I am going to be the star and nothing else matters to her because they forgot that Rachel could have character depth in this episode. Well, not only that, but Rachel like thinks the captain position is like Glee Club president because later we see yeah. her like talking about passing motions. Yeah. Uh, and Will's like, guys, we need to have two people in the picture and have two captains. And Quinn's like, no, we we don't need to. We're fine with having Rachel represent us in the Thunderclap by herself. And Kurt adds on, we would actually prefer it. Yeah, which isn't maybe the greatest thing, but you know what? Like, at least they're all thinking together. <laughs> this is technically teamwork. Yes, it is technically teamwork. Doesn't mean that Will can't go and complain to Emma about it, though. Um, because he's like, I don't know, I no one wants to be co-captain of Glee Club. And she's like, well, then maybe they're trying to tell you something and you should listen. And then maybe they can listen to Rachel in an a, in like a supervisory position. Maybe this will help Rachel. And who knows, Will, you could still lose sectionals. And everyone's over here like, they're going to win sectionals. We're, th- we're 13. Well, actually, apparently there is a... Uh... The, there may or may not be an alternate ending where they lose sectionals, and that was for in the event they were cancelled. Oh my god, I lost lost Glee footage? I would love to see that. It's, it's the fuck them kids ending. Oh my god. That, uh, would, that would just be like the app. We need to find this footage and do like a bonus episode on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever been released. We're gonna have to break into the Ryan Murphy estate, which I'm all for. Um, but I'm busy right now. Do it and then just like... First, uh, first off, um, this is not uh, legally permissible as evidence in court. <laughs> um, this is not evidence, cops. You can't do anything about it. Um, if I were breaking into Ryan Murphy's estate, the first thing that I would do would be would be to go through his computer and then erase probably a solid three quarters of his ideas for things on his hard drive, just because no, 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 Dojo, I want to see it. <laughs> well, fine then. I would pull a copy on a hard on like a flash drive for you, send that to Canada, and then I would wipe his computer. <laughs> Because look, someone has to tell him no. You're you're emailing me the stuff, assuming that I'm not going to fly down there and help you. Well, yeah, that's true. We need to assemble a team. Oh, God. We need to assemble a team, and helping to lead the team would be Chris Colfer and Diana Agron. Yes. We need someone who can use weapons. We need someone who is just has a really awesome presence. Yes. Yes. Um, like, okay, and, like, Will's complaining, the whole premise of the episode, or not premise of the episode, but the premise of Will's arc in the first half of the episode, he's like, these kids think they're losers because people keep defacing them in the yearbook. And it's really not that. It's just the kids don't want to have to, like, deal with more bullying on top of anything. And getting a photo in yeah. the yearbook is not going to help that. Like, I'm all for no. I'm all for owning yourself as someone who's an outsider kind of thing, obviously, but yeah, th- this yeah. is kind of a different beast. <laughs> yes. This is very much so a different beast as we will see in the episode. Um, will At this point, then, Will also brings up the, the passive-aggressive wedding scheduling. And then Emma's like, Will, Ken does have morals. And he is great with the students and he's compassionate, which is why I'm marrying him. And I'm like, those, those are good reasons. It's still not 100% honest. Or, like, just? Like, um, so she says that Ken has his flaws, 74 as of last count. Yeah. And then she lists his good qualities. And I'm sitting here like, where? Show me. Yeah. 
So basically, it's all to say that Emma is reminding Will, like, Will, I'm marrying Ken. I'm not marrying you. And then Will's like, okay, I was out of line. I'm going to peace out. And I'm just like, okay, yay, I guess. Also, so I don't know if I mentioned this on an episode since we recorded last, or really ever, but I watched the pilot a couple, god, it must have been like a month ago at this point, because there was like that tweet-along thing Oh yeah, that the people from uh, Out of Context Glee were doing, and there's a point in the pilot episode which Emma mentions giving her phone number to a firefighter, and I'm like, Emma could be dating a hot firefighter. Yeah. And I think that's my perfect AU for Emma. Oh yeah, absolutely. As as much of as much of a women stand as I was, like I think Emma with hot firefighter is like the dream. <laughs> That's a lot of people's dream. Anyway, Rachel ha- <laughs> she has sixty five proposals as captain, but Will encourages her that she should get a co captain to help her with her schemes. I guess. Uh, yeah. So. We get a little montage. She first she asks Mercedes, but Mercedes is busy with Kwanzaa. Uh, they're yes. prepping early this year, and okay, so I guess that means that this isn't in December yet in the show timeline. Yeah, um, Artie says no because he's in a wheelchair, and you leaning over to get in the shot with me would make you look like you've got stomach rolls. <laughs> Um, she offers it to Brittany because it's the chance of a lifetime, and Brittany's like, no, people would deface it. And Rachel's like, no one would deface it. And Brittany's like, no, I would deface it. Yeah. And then Finn initially says no, because he's like, you should pick someone who truly, truly cares about the Glee Club. And then she's like, but Finn, you're a leader. Go inspire the troops. And he finally agrees. And I have a note here that, like, Cory Monteith was saying most of his lines while looking at least a foot over Leah Michelle's head. <laughs> Which is not hard to do when there is about a foot of difference between them. Yeah. But I was like, okay, like we get it. We get it. Rachel is browbeating Finn into being co-captain. So then she's like, okay, cool. I'm going to teach you how to smile. Through song. Yes, through song. This is a pretty late in the episode for our first musical number two. Yeah, really it is. Um, my note here is, um, I like that they're reusing elements from the wardrobe, like Finn's wearing the same like vest and shirt combo that he's worn before, but also Rachel looks like an adult here. <laughs> it's like, okay, we get it. We know that these actors aren't really high schoolers. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but I didn't really get that vibe. Rachel de- looks decently like a teenager uh, until she gets bangs in season four. Yeah, that's true. Um... But yeah, they, this this musical number is that Rachel t- tries to teach Finn how to how to do a good smile by singing "Smile" by Lily Allen, and Brad Brad and the jazz group are here. Brad is so done with everything. He does vibe to the song a little bit. Yeah, but just a little bit. But we're like, hey, what what does this song have to do with Picture Day? It's about getting over your ex. It's called they went on they went on lyricsfinder.com and they typed in smile and they pulled up the first two results and they said we're using these songs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a cute number. It's fine. I will say they it sound sounds good. decent as a duet. Yeah. Yeah. And Rachel is being extremely physically affectionate during this number. She's like sitting on Finn's lap. She smacks She's his like ass. Snacking. Yeah, she smacks his ass. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh." We don't, we don't even get a scene in here where Finn's like, oh, I feel like I'm having an emotional affair and cheating on Quinn again. No, he just rolls with the whole thing. I guess, yeah. Finn's brain cell was on lunch break again. Yeah, for most of the episode. Yeah. 
And my, I have a note here, which is, if Will needed a project for Rachel to do, couldn't he have asked her to organize a fundraiser to pay for the yearbook photo? Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, have have a, have another bake sale. Sell more pop muffins. Yeah, I guess. But they already used that, and Ryan Murphy never uses plot threads within a season. <laughs> so, so after that, we cut immediately to the locker room where Finn gets accosted by Azimio and Karofsky, and they start drawing on his face as practice for the yearbook. Mm-hmm. And there's not much of this scene other than, Haha, you're a loser, and we're gonna write on your picture because you're a loser. Yeah. Uh, Azimio- I think they call him Potato Head. They do call him a Potato Head. And Azimio says, I'll give it the option between Buck Teeth or a Hitler Stash. Aww. But I think they go with Buck Teeth. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's pretty much Bullying. the whole scene. Bullying! Yay. Uh, the next Yay. scene, uh, John Ross Bowie is here as the photographer. Who is John Ross Bowie? Because he looked familiar to me. He's in a lot of stuff. Um, I know him mainly from the playing the dad in the ABC show Speechless. He was the character with a lisp in The Big Bang Theory. Oh, maybe that's it. I've seen enough Big Bang Theory in passing. Yeah. Like, he, he's one of those people who he appears in lots of stuff, not always as a leading person, but definitely as a big character. Cool. Um, he's here. He's here to be the photographer. Yeah. Um, Rachel Finn is... Finn didn't show up to the Glee picture. <laughs> yeah, and Rachel's bummed about that. So, like... She, she has to look in the mirror and give herself a pep talk, and she sings a few lines from yeah. When You're Smiling by Louis Armstrong. She's like, stop being defined by what other people think of you and how they disappoint you. Uh, yeah, she gives a couple photos, and he's like, I need to see your teeth! <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> if, if, he, if he'd said that to Chris Colfer, Chris Colfer would have said, death first! Yeah, and it's too bad the song Teeth by Lady Gaga hadn't taken off yet, or we could have had another musical number. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, yeah. he only takes a few and is like, okay, that's it. I have to go to a casting session for, uh, my cousin or was it his cousin or her brother, his brother, Bro- his brother, his brother, his brother-in-law is doing a commercial and Rachel's like, but and, I have over Ra- Rachel catches the scent like a bloodhound on the hunt. <laughs> Cause at first she's like, I have 64 different poses. And then he's like, I'm casting actors for a thing. And she immediately starts crying. He's like, no, okay, like, I'll, I'll cast like, a few more or I take a few more pictures. And then she immediately snaps her head up. I can cry on cue. And and she has multiple friends that she can rope into an acting gig, too. Yes, and she says, Aside from nudity and the exploitation of animals, I'll do pretty much anything to break into the business. Yep. Including working on Glee. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is that someone pointed out Leah Michelle is still trying to break into the business. She did not get go off nearly as much as she expected to after Glee. Oh. You'll love to see it. Uh, so the next scene is, uh, Finn and Rachel entering the choir room and Finn's, Finn is sorry he skipped up. He got bullied and he, he can rock neither the Hitler stash nor the buck teeth. And then he sits down next to Quid and he feels his head and he turns to her and he says, do I have a potato head? And then she's like, oh my God. She has an expression that says, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. My note here is, um, Kurt is ready for the black parade. (laughs) Because he's wearing like a like a black or a dark navy like jacket with like the triangular breast on it and like the rows of buttons and I'm like he's gonna go and I'm just steadily dropping out of the webcam frame. Ah, <laughs> uh, but Rachel's like big news, everybody. We're gonna be in a local commercial for mattresses, and everyone is like, holy shit. 
local mattresses. This is our big break. Yes. And they, everyone is like, we're so excited for this. Even the Rachel's like, none of you care about Glee except for me, but you're going to appreciate the fact that I'm getting us on TV in a commercial. Yeah, again, I don't know at what point, I don't know why Ryan decided that them not wanting to be in the picture means that they don't actually care about Glee. There is a cute moment as we leave this scene, though, which is that um, Kurt and Mercedes say, let's do our camera face. And they both like, they both like pose at the camera, (laughs) which which was fun and cute. And I'm like, good, I, I will take whatever, whatever drops of Mercedes and Kurt characterization that you're going to give me. Yeah. Yeah. I am trying I'm trying to rip through this episode. <laughs> Me too. So they go to the mattress place. They're all in uh, pale blue uh pajamas and mm-hmm. uh everyone's like it's so exciting that we're finally getting our big break and like soon there's going to be agents knocking at our door and Mercedes is like yeah. as soon as I get a record deal I'm not talking to anybody. Yep. <laughs> I mean this is true. But like she she laughs and smiles at some of the other characters cuz they're like aha it's fun and we're friends. We're friends doing funny friend uh, mattress commercial. Um Yes. The the mattress man, the mattress king shows up and he's like Yes. We want We hear we hear at mattress lanes don't believe that mattresses are just for sleeping and fornicating. They should also be for fun. <laughs> They're a foundation on which uh, American society is built. Yes. Um, oh, can can I say a, f- a funny thing about commercials and foundations? Sure. <laughs> because my mom used to work in tra- uh, advertising traffic, which is basically scheduling the ads. Okay. And there, at once upon a time, there was an ad that aired on, I, I want to say CTV. And mm-hmm. it was an ad for bread, and it was showing how great the bread was by having, like, a, a tiny... There was a truck driving across this landscape, but then it zoomed out, and it was just, like, a, a small truck driving across a loaf of bread. And I was like, our bread is strong. Uh, and someone called to complain about that commercial, because bread is the foundation of this country, and you are disrespecting the bread. Oh my god. And they had to pull the commercial. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Did Jean Valjean call in and say that? No, it was a woman. I, I remember that much. Ah, uh, gotcha. So they they get their scripts and they do a line read and it's very stilted and awkward, but at least Quinn's amused by the bad line reads that everyone else is doing. Aw, oh, man. It's like, we just lost our jobs. Period. At the factory. And we can't get a good night's sleep. Yes, this episode is not sponsored by Purple or Casper, mattri- Casper Mattresses. Nope. Uh, or Sleep Country Canada. Why buy a mattress anywhere else? But if you share this episode with your friends, we will send you a sheep. <laughs> what? Uh, there's a mattress country uh, called Sleep, Co- Sleep Country Canada. Why buy a mattress anywhere else? And their mascots are sheep with numbers on them. That Because they're like, I'm trying to count oh, sheep. Oh, like the Serta? Like the Serta sheep? Oh, the maybe. Sheep. Maybe, yeah, like their their claymation. Yeah, I can't believe Sleep Country is just Canadian Serta. I've been betrayed. Hi. Ben goes. Editor Ryan here, make a correction on behalf of Tanner and Christina. Sleep Country Canada is not, in fact, a mattress maker, but a mattress retailer. In fact, you can buy a Serta mattress at your local Sleep Country Canada. Why buy a mattress anywhere else? Anyway, they they have their scripts and Rachel says, look, okay, like, these scripts are brilliant, heavy air quotes, 
but we should you should just let us perform because we're a high school glee club and the director's like no just do do the lines do do the lines that i wrote please and mattress king is like actually no wait hold on i'm interested in this <laughs> so then we get to jump into the musical number with a with a with a thing that was subtitled melodious yell <laughs> <laughs> well yeah because basically all of them going ba 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 it's it's the part where <laughs> you're right you're right because it is like he's about to start off the intro to csi miami yeah yeah so they sing jump and it's really fun everyone i, I know that the song is about suicide wait what yeah <laughs> yeah the, 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 the chorus is might, is might as well jump go ahead and jump i like, thought that was like jumping for joy i thought that's what the song was about no, let me. I didn't go I'm to lyrics sure genius. It's about suicide. Oh my god! Let me look this up. <laughs> These mattresses. <laughs> look, they they did the same thing about like the they did the same thing where they just went on lyrics wiki and just looked it up. <laughs> okay, so this is this jump is a song by Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen. Um. And maybe also their producer, because they came up with the music first, but then to come up with the lyric, he remembered seeing a television news report the night before about a man who was threatening to commit suicide by jumping off a high building. Roth thought that one of the onlookers of such a scene would probably shout, go ahead and jump. And so he bounced a suggestion off someone else who said that it was a good idea. But instead of it being a song about threatening suicide, instead they decided to make it a song about being an invitation about love. Okay, yeah, so... So it did start as a song about, about, commit a, well, about no, committing suicide, which song, sucks. Okay, so the song isn't even about that. The song, it, it, it was just a lyrical inspiration. I guess, yeah, but still. Yeah, so th- this musical number is just, hey, they're doing clips on trampolines that have mattress toppers on and, them. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you think this, this uh, sequence is fun. I mean, it, it's not not fun, but I think the composition of the song is kind of a mess. <laughs> Yeah, because it, it's all the bop 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 in the background and yelling and like everyone eating themselves over a variety of mattresses. Yeah, if you haven't dreamed of being in a musical number like this, then you're a dirty liar. <laughs> because who doesn't want to be doing sweet flips and jumping on a mattress and not running the risk of having to break it and then having to pay for a new mattress for yourself? That's true. Oh, God. I hope they didn't end up accidentally breaking any mattresses. Can you imagine if those were spring mattresses? I mean, something would have come out and someone would have been impaled. Yes. Yeah. I think the cast is doing their own like stunts <laughs> on this, which is which is good and fun. Except for except for Kevin, yeah. who spends most of it in the background like in his wheelchair holding holding, holding a sign that says jump. <laughs> there, there was one shot where he's just like he's laying on a mattress and he gets bounced up by other people bouncing around him. Yeah, which is fun. And my note, my, my other note here is, um, this is going to get uh, the mattress company sued immediately for illegally using Jump without permission. Although I have heard a local radio commercial that does use the Doctor Who theme song. So maybe if, maybe if no one knows about it, it's okay. I mean, that one, because it's instrumental, you might be able to get away with it. Because if you change some of the notes slightly, technically it's not copyright infringement. Yeah, I think it's like four notes in a row have to be the same. Or if it's five notes in a row, then it's copyright infringement. But if it's four, then you're fine. But also, also musical copyright is a whole mess because 
yeah. if you have the same cord, you're viable for legal repercussions. And like, try harder. Yeah. Anyway, they have a they have a good time in the musical number, and then we get emotional whiplash. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because now we have we we. I started off this episode by saying that this episode is like it's like having to saw through a chunk of raw beef. We have reached the bone in the center of the bu- of the beef rack, and now we are having to deal with it. So will it is dense, it is bloody, and it is here. So will is looking for his pocket squares, and he's rooting around in the dresser, and he happens across the baby bump pad. Yes, and he looks in the mirror. And you can, see, like, credit to Matthew Morrison for acting in this episode, because, like, you can see Will, like, Will's soul beginning to fracture into pieces of a horcrux. <laughs> yeah, and he comes down, and, like, Terry, Terry's making dinner, I think, for the first time in her life. Yeah. And he holds it up, and he's like, what is this? And she's like, oh, it's a pregnancy bump pad. You use it so that you can see how the maternity clothes fit when you're showing more. Kendra stole it for me from the maternity store. Yeah. So I will say, hey, props to Terry for how easily and quickly she lies. Like, she was like, "Mm, Will's going to find one of these one day. I'm going to rehearse this. Yeah, she's she's good at improv, but she's not great at, you know, telling the truth. Because then Will comes over and he's like, lift up your shirt. Lift up your shirt. And I was over here, I was genuinely thinking that he was going to be causing his wife physical harm. <laughs> yeah, I. so I, before I watched it's, this episode, I remembered is, it, <laughs> I remembered it a lot darker. I had this memory of Will, like, punching a cabinet next to Terry or something like that, and he doesn't. He, he never raises his fists against her. The most he does is when Terry lifts her shirt up, he sees the pregnancy pad and he rips that off. Yeah. And, like, he, he grabs her wrist to, like, I don't know if she was oh, going right. to, like, he hit does. him or something. Or if he just, like, he or he, like, got her hand over the way so that he could, like, lift her shirt up. But it's, like, this is, a, this is like, this is a mutually abusive partner situation. And I I was, like... This was on primetime TV. Teenagers were watching this. Yeah, and it's... The whole thing makes it very hard to be sympathetic for either of them. Because as scary as Will is now, Terry has been emotionally abusing him for the whole show and the whole marriage. Yeah. It's definitely not unwarranted, but it is... Everything in this scene is wrong. The wrong thing to do. Yeah. What... They... After, like, he rips the pregnancy pad off of her body... And, like, they both start crying, and then she's like, I only did it because you stopped paying attention to me, because you started paying attention to Glee instead. Will says, I should be allowed to feel good about myself. And I'm like, well, yes, that is factually true. And then Terry immediately comes back with, who are we kidding, Will? This marriage works because you don't feel good about yourself. Yeah. And he says, like, I loved you. Like, I'm in this relationship to make it work. Like, I love you. I love I love the good and the bad. And she's like, no, what you love is you love the person you met when you were 15 years old. And then he's like, what were you going to do when your due date got here? And then she's like, I was going to... Uh, actually, I think literally this is like, what were you going to do? And then she's like, Quinn for Bray. And I was like, yup. <laughs> she sure was. Yeah. <sighs> and Will says, like, I loved you, Terry. I really loved you. And then she's like, but remember how, remember how emotionally uh, unified we were when, at our very first pregnancy appointment, our very first gynecologist um, obstetrician appointment, when 
when we were when we were so in love with each other. Remember it, and it's not enough. Um, Will grabs his keys and storms out, and then Terry just like closes the door behind him as it cuts to black. Yeah. So, as bad as they are, as they both are, like the characters, the acting is great. But as bad yeah, as yeah, both yeah. characters Justin are Gilsic in this scene, Justin and Matthew Morrison are doing a great job in this scene. Oh, absolutely. I think by the end, it it does make it clear that this is Will getting out of a toxic marriage. Yes. And it does it does land on his side, and it should. But still, like th- those first few parts of him confronting Terry are fairly chilling, and I feel like yeah. To me, that says that um, before Will, like, spoiler alert here, um, Will will be in other relationships. And it says to me that Will needs some actually, he needs some serious therapy before he can be in maybe any kind of relationship. Yes, and he shouldn't date the person that he gets the free therapy from. Yes. After he's stormed out, he gets to the school and he, like, he doesn't really know what to do because he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. I don't know why he couldn't have gone to his parents' place, but I guess that would be yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Will, your parents are in town, and also you have a credit card. Go save the local Days Inn or whatever. I mean, okay, well, with the, the Days Inn thing, the, clearly they don't have a lot of money. But also a credit card. Oh, yeah, that's true, I guess. Like, the, okay, believe but me, do, I, do, <laughs> I don't advocate credit card debt, but he should have had access to at least one credit card that yeah, he could have put it so. on. But the point is, he arrives at the school, I guess not really knowing what else to do, but conveniently, there's a stack of mattresses in the choir room, because the kids were the kids were paid in exposure and mattresses. Yes, and then Will says, well, when life gives you mattresses, make mattress aid. Mmm. Juicy. Yes. So he takes a he he pulls a mattress off of the pile and then sleeps on it in his de- in his office. Yeah. And that means that they accepted payment. <laughs> yeah. So now it's time for Sue's Corner Corner, uh, which is basically, th- I don't want to see ugly people. Stay home after Christmas. Yeah. Sue's so like, hey, female co-anchor, that was about you. Oh, and I missed that part. She, we, it, it's not especially necessary. It's just another instance of Sue being um, incredibly misogynistic. Yeah. So all of this is just so that we can see that Sue sees the commercial which the finished product has some truly incredible green screening of like Rachel being the spokesperson for Mattress King and over the music video and stuff. And it's, it's fun. At one point, like Matt just like flies across the screen, like, Wee! <laughs> which might be the only time that he's been individually spotlit in the season so far. Yeah. Uh, and then Sue is like, Oh, this is perfect. Yes. And so we go over to, the school and she gets confronted by Quinn in the hallway and Quinn mm-hmm. is like, I am going to get myself back on the churros for the photo op, uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, and Sue is like, I'm... And Sluice, Sue slut shames Quinn. She sure does. And then she rubs it in her face that Quinn not only won't get to be in the Cheerios picture, but she also won't get to be in the Glee Club picture because Glee Club has just gotten itself disqualified. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which then leads into a fight between Will, Sue, and Figgins. Yeah. And then Will is like, they only did the commercial to bond as a team because they couldn't have a yearbook photo. And then Sue pulls out her Glee Club rulebook, which, might I remind you, is probably still at least a couple years out of date if she stole it from the library. <laughs> and hey, if it's from the McKinley's library, it's probably been defaced in several points, too. Yeah, probably by Sue. Oh yeah, that's true. Sue says that by accepting payment 
for a performance, that means that the Glee Club is now professionals and not amateurs or, like, education competition students. Yeah. Instead of being recreational now, they are professionals. And then they're like, we can't donate the used mattress, so we can't return payment for all of them. Then Will has to admit to to his arch nemesis and his half nemesis <laughs> that I that I slept on a mattress there last night, and I'm like, you telling them this is a mistake, Will? And he says, I'm thinking of leaving my wife. And then Sue was like, I did not expect that. <laughs> I mean, he kind of has to tell them because Sue demands to know why the ma- there's a soiled mattress, and she suspects it's because him and Emma have just been uh freaking having sex. <laughs> Yeah, and then I think Figgins declares that Glee Club is over, and then Sue yells, "Glee Club is over!" in his face. Yep. And my note here is again: this could have been solved if he got a hotel. Yeah. Then the next scene. I was very like turned down for what in this scene. <laughs> Quinn bursts into. Well, she doesn't burst, but she kind of storms into Sue's office in her Cheerios uniform. She like declares yes. that it still fits. After wait. The, the the scene starts off with Sue rejoicing in her diary, like, Dear Diary, today I tasted the salty musk of Will Schuster's tears because his glee club has finally been defeated, and I'm going to use the salt from his tears to ensure that the fields of his the fields around his apartment are made fallow so nothing shall ever grow there again, and then Quinn is like spying on her through the slats of the blinds <laughs> because Quinn is back in her uniform. And she shows up like, hey, Coach Sylvester, it's time for blackmail, because I have gotten so much free swag as being part of the Cheerios, and as soon yes. as I tell things about it, he's going to revoke your amateur status, too. Unless... Yes. Unless... Unless you give the Glee Club one of the six pages that the Cheerios have. Yes, and I get to be back in the Cheerios photo, and on the Cheerios squad. And Sue says, okay, but I'm putting you in the back and you're on dry cleaning duty. And then Quinn, as she like goes to walk out, she's like, you know what? No, that wasn't that wasn't enough of a sick burn. Because then she turns around and says, actually, I don't think I want to be on the Cheerios anymore. I don't want to be on a team where I only appear to belong. I'd rather be a part of a club that's proud to have me, like Glee Club. Turn down for what? Da, 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 da. I did have to put that in the episode because I did when when the scene finished I did sit there on my couch and I just said like oh damn (laughs) because I think more so I think it's I think the situation that we're dealing with here is that is that Sue is Will's nemesis but Quinn is Sue's nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing strong enough to defeat Sue Sylvester is a teenager who is also pregnant. <laughs> she has the power. Yes. So anyway, we get to then go to Will talking to Emma. He says, like, the whole Glee Club thing is my fault. And then she's like, give yourself a break, dude, especially if you're considering divorce. And he's like, if what now? She like, Homer Simpson sinking into hedge.gifs. <laughs> <laughs> And then she's like, I sympathize with Terry's intentions. Her actions were uncalled for, but I understand where she's coming from because you're a lot to lose, Will. And I'm just like, very impartial there, Emma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then we go over to Glee Club and Will announces that he has basically disqualified himself from sectionals Mm -hmm. because he's the one who accepted the mattress payment and not the kids. Yeah. So they can still go, but he can't go with them and he can't be considered their Glee Club teacher. Yeah. 
Finn, Finn says, we can't do it without you, Mr. Shu. Hell, we probably can't do it with you. <laughs> and I'm like, great job, Finn. And then Will has a teacher speech. Yeah, he has a teacher speech. The best teachers point the way and let you make your own choices and mistakes. That way, you get all the glory and you deserve it. And I'm like, yeah, but also the point of a teacher is to be there to advise the kids and, like, give them suggestions and advice and help. But but no, so it's... that's he, He's saying that, like, he can give them the advice and help and stuff, but he's not just gonna hand them an answer. And him being there doesn't mean they automatically win. And him leaving there doesn't automatically mean they lose. Like, I think the crux of the teacher speech is when he says, if you can't win without me, then I haven't done my job. Okay. Because it's not, okay. it's about reasonable, I guess. It's the, the difference between encouraging them and teaching them and just holding their hand. That's true. That's true, I guess. Before we leave this scene, my, my note is still, okay, but who's going to be their chaperone for sectionals? Who's going to be their faculty advisor? Because they are still minors and students, and someone needs to be on the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll figure that out later. It's not important. That's, that's next week's problem. That, that's too much realism for Glee, I guess. Go get go get dressed up for the photo. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do really like that after his speech, Rachel is like, we're really sorry. And he's like, yeah, I know. Now go take your Glee Club photo with pride. Because he's not even mad at them. Aww. And so we go into the final scene. Or yeah. the cluster of scenes, which is set to... The final montage. <laughs> yes, the final montage. And now it's set to the club <laughs> singing Smile by Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> so it's a montage set to Smile by Charlie Chaplin, and it's sung by the Glee Club, but we don't actually see them performing it. It's just like, I don't know, they're, they're disembodied voices. It's a, a song that's an internal monologue. <laughs> it's the song in their hearts. Yes. And so uh, we see the girls getting ready, and Quinn has changed back in out of her Cheerios uniform into the maternity clothes. Yeah, because she's like, I shed, I shed that part of me. Yeah, and I had the, uh, I had a uh, maybe the moment when I will most relate to Rachel Berry throughout the entire season, which is that she was brushing her teeth in the school bathroom sink, and I do that. I brush my teeth, my teeth at work in the in the work bathroom sink. <laughs> Hmm. My, because I had a dentist once who yelled at me because I wasn't brushing my teeth enough. Oh wow! So now I, I no longer go to that dentist. It's fine, but also <laughs> now my teeth look good because I'm generally brushing my teeth more. That's great. Um, I once saw someone shaving in the public washroom at university. I mean, yeah. The university be like that sometimes. We then we pan over to the guys getting ready in the men's washroom, and uh, the thing I noticed the most was Finn and Puck doing a pre-photo pump. Yeah, I noticed that too. Uh, we see Will getting ready, and he doesn't get to take a photo with kids, and then when he's put in the yearbook, he's just credited as Spanish teacher. Yeah, and he's across from Emma. Who's, she's listed as guidance counselor, but according to the wiki, if you're eagle-eyed, you'll notice that counselor is omitting the O. Yeah. So there she's was... a guidance counselor. Also, like... Why is it that they were like, every faculty member gets a full page photo? I'm like, no, do those like the portraits like you would with the rest of the kids. Yeah, like every, at least every subject or something like that. Like, here's all the teachers that do the math. Here's all the teachers that do the sciences. Yeah, but uh, they don't make any sense anyway. No, um, the like after a whole thing about how the, the, the yearbook doesn't have enough room and is full of ads. And then every single faculty member gets a full page spread. Yeah. This yearbook is being organized and laid out by drill. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like Ken's photo is across from Sue's and then we get to see, oh, the Glee Club's there to take their picture. And then Will is smiling and crying from outside the classroom and 
he leaves after they take their photo and they're like, oh god, okay, that was so tiring. That was exhausting. Uh, yeah, and then at the end we see it getting immediately defaced by Karofsky. Yeah, we see that this thing must be the, the fastest yearbook that has ever been put to print. Because Maybe. it's like... L- it's like the next day. Maybe it's a flash forward. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it gets defaced by Kurofsky and the hockey team. And it, it gets to like we get like a like a closeout on the Glee Club's photo where everyone is defaced. Santana's holding the devil's pitchfork and Finn has buck teeth. And I'm sure that Rachel has something terrible done to her and like Tina's and Mike's eyes are blacked out. Yeah. Um, also another fun fact is that if you're able to spot the list of members, Brittany is listed without a last name. Nice. I didn't catch that. I mean, I didn't catch it either. I had to check the Glee Wiki and it was like, it was listed under errors, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that was intentional. Yeah, it was probably intentional because in universe, they, in universe, Brittany just didn't tell anyone her last name because they all knew, they just knew, oh, that's Brittany. Yeah, it's Brittany. Everybody knows Brittany. Out of universe because they didn't have a name for her yet. (laughs) Yeah. So, we've gotten through the episode. We can finally rest. (laughs) And I started. So, Christina, what is your gold star song? My gold star song is going to be Jump. Because it was fun, and their performance was fun, and I, I think they all were having a good time. What was your gold star song, Tanner? I think my gold star... None of the songs in this episode really stood out to me, so I think I'm just going to go with Smile. Um, I th- Which one? The first one, sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, Smile by Finn and Rachel, because I feel like making it a duet, like just on its own, adds another layer to the song that makes it a little bit more interesting than other like compositional stuff that they've done with the other ones. Yeah, that's true. What was your gold star moment? My gold star moment is definitely uh, a Quinn, as I, as I typed in my notes, um, Quinn motherfucking left out an N uh, Fabre um, <laughs> for for having the absolute guts to be able to threaten Sue Sylvester with blackmail and to win several major concessions from her without breaking a sweat and then also managing to say, actually, I, your star cheerleader, am going to Glee Club because they care about me as a person. And then she left with her with all of her organs intact. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So what's your best, Tanner? My best moment is the gay lesball joke. Nice. That has, it has stuck with me through the years. Really? I did not know this. The delivery, the performance, everything. It's almost the, one of the perfect, most perfect jokes that Glee has ever had. I am glad that you enjoy it so much. (laughs) Um, I would like to give an honorable mention to uh, Matthew Morrison and Jessalyn Gilsig's acting in the in the Will and Terry confrontation scene, because it is also very good. I just liked the Quinn crossing the Godzilla threshold more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, now, what was your slushy moment? I think it's going to be, uh, initially I was like, I'm going to make it all the slut shaming that happens to Quinn. But I was like, actually, I think I'm going to make it um, Rachel's tokenism in the name of getting a good transcript. Oh, yeah, that's that's fair. But it's also very true to the character. It doesn't mean I'm not going to shame it. <laughs> that's that's also very fair. Um, and my, yeah, slushy moment, my slushy moment is the shooting joke. Also good. Also, well, not also good, but also meriting of the title of worst. Yeah, it just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. I, I remember, well, while we were recording, I remembered a thought that I had last night, which was, I think part of why Lee feels so weird 
it's not only that, you know, there's like three head writers that aren't all writing every episode that it's kind of flopping between those tones. It's also that Glee is a show about high school, but it's like written as if it was being created by the high schoolers who were involved in Glee. It feels autobiographical, which is why everything is such overblown and dramatic stakes. <laughs> yeah. And, and why everything revolves around them. And why none of the other students are mentioned, because as someone who was in the performing arts in high school, if you are in the performing arts, a lot of times um, students tend to think that the, that the whole high school world revolves around them, even when it usually does not. <laughs> so yeah, it feels very autobiographical. Yeah, I definitely can see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it for me, I guess. Yeah, I think that covers me as well. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so... I guess that means then that I get to take us out. All right. Loser Like Me is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcasting platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know and we will work on getting there. We can be found at LoserLikeMePod on Twitter and through LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. Um, and if you're interested in being on the show, we do have a we do have a Google form that I believe is our pinned tweet currently at the time of recording. Yeah, should still be. If you can't um, track it down, we... just add us and we'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, get in touch with us if you're interested in being on the show and we can get you set up with that Google form. Or you can just, you know, message us directly um, and we can see about getting that uh, set up. And so next week, and we really should start doing next time stuff because I feel like we just yeah. kind of like stop the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ne- the next, next week time. is it's the mid-season finale. Who are they going to win sectionals? Who knows? Who knows? It's a mystery. <laughs> it's the last Anything episode of this ha- podcast. Look, as we've established on previous episodes, literally anything can and will happen on Glee. So, I guess yeah. you'll uh, you'll hear us next time for the episode called Sectionals. Yep. And, and that's, that's what, what you missed, missed on, on Glee. Glee. Just go ahead and grab a chair and listen now. As we riff the show, Tanner and Christine are gonna figure out why we love the show. Better grab your golden stars and slushies, cause you're listening, you're listening to Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. Loser Like Me. And But then in the background, it's all of them doing... Uh yeah. It's gonna be so much fun. Ha-ba. Let's just pray we didn't peek our audio for that. Ha-ba-ba. Ha-ba-ba-da-ga-ba. <laughs>